1: Welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz, and it's really nice to have you today. I hope you're doing really well. We're doing a little climate education. We're doing a little current events today. We're talking about heat waves and what it means for societies. There has been so much news this week about the hottest day on record in the UK. On Tuesday, the UK recorded its hottest temperature on record, 40 degrees Celsius. For us Americans, that is 104 degrees Fahrenheit. At first, this seems like pretty typical climate information that we're consuming. We know that extreme weather events are happening more and more frequently. We're seeing more extreme weather. We've all kind of been waiting for a terrible heat wave this summer, but what's the big deal? Why is the UK heat wave making such news? If you enjoy this episode of Eco Chic, make sure you send it to a friend, post it on your Instagram story. Let me know what you like so much about it and what you want to hear about in the future. All of my social links are down below. And while you're here, you can rate and review the show and you can make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. I know you probably are, but just go ahead and double check for me. First things first, what the heck is a heat wave? We very often think of heat waves as these literal waves the way that we see them on TV and on meteorology maps of hot air moving across a region. In actuality, a heat wave is a lot more like a bubble of hot air rather than waves of hot air moving in a certain direction. I've made this disgusting metaphor before and I'm gonna go ahead and share it again because I think it's really helpful. A heat wave is actually a lot like a blister. A heat wave is this bubble of hot air that has kind of a seal around it and it pockets the hot air. And because of this bubbling and this seal, there's increased pressure under this heat wave bubble. Heat waves very often are a little bit more humid days than others because all of this air is just sitting, waiting for the pressure to be released. So a lot like a blister, you're walking around, there's some pressure, and finally you've got to bite the bullet and just stab it with a little needle and let it loose. Oh my God, I cannot believe I just made that comparison. As gross as it is, you get the picture. A heat wave is actually more like a heat bubble or a heat blister. There's two big intersections of the heat wave conversation that I wanna talk about today. The first is obviously public health. How do heat waves affect people? There have been news reports this week in the UK of perfectly healthy people getting extremely sick because of heat waves. In regions where humans have not lived through this kind of heat, when we have not evolutionarily adapted in some way to get used to extreme temperatures, our bodies can't handle it, quite frankly. I'm not a doctor, but it makes sense that if you've never lived through something before, it's pretty hard for your body to just quickly react and be able to take care of you in the best way possible. So if your body can't do it on its own, what are some external supports we have for public health when it comes to extreme temperatures? This leads me to my second point, my second intersection, and that is infrastructure, the way that our societies are built out. About 90% of American homes have air conditioning. On the flip side, in the UK, only about 5% of homes have air conditioning. What does that mean? We have a lot less external support for supporting our public health on the day-to-day during a heat wave. Air conditioning usage also brings up a really interesting point about energy demands. And we've talked about this before in the context of Texas in the US, if you remember. There are power outages in Texas very often around winter storms, but they also happen in the summertime. I've done episodes on that and I can link it in the show notes. But as a quick takeaway, It's helpful to note that energy from a utility, from a power company, the amount of energy that you can expect from your home or what you expect to happen when you plug something into a wall, all of that is determined based on a lot of data, a lot of historical data on uses and demand. In a pre-COVID world where most people are going into the office in the middle of the day, We know that the demand for energy is much lower in residential areas than it would be at five o'clock when everyone's coming home, turning on lights, turning on the stove, turning on the dishwasher. And because that demand is expected, power companies can tailor their load to make sure that all of that energy is available when it needs to be available. On the flip side, when you have some sort of freak event like a heat wave, like a snowstorm, it's a lot harder to predict energy demands, and that's how we end up with outages. Even more so during a heat wave, I think this is really interesting for us to consider, because we know that producing energy exerts heat. And even if you don't realize you know that, think about how you feel when you work out. You get hot, you get a little schwitzy. Heat is an offput of energy production whether it's in your body, whether it's at a power plant, the same principles apply. So during a heat wave, it's a really common practice for utilities to scale back their production so that they're not exerting additional heat into that immediate region around the facility. In the UK especially, there's also a culture of going away for the summer, day-to-day energy demands are a little modified compared to rest of the year and utilities are planning for that. They are planning for a decreased demand in residential areas during the summertime, and this is just really commonplace. I can link some articles down below that speak to this a little bit further. So earlier this week, knowing that a heat wave was coming and demand was already supposed to be low, the utilities have scaled back even further in their energy production. There's less power to support that 5% of homes that have air conditioning. There's less power to support community cooling centers. There's less power for all of the things that we need to support that external aid to public health.
0: This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe, dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party Or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Quick break to tell you about one of our partners.
1: From curling and straightening to hairspray and overbleaching, we've all done something to damage our hair over the years. I know I am especially guilty of hairspray and heavy heat because I've become a roller girl the last few years. You know what they say, the higher the hair, the closer to God, but as much as I love big hair, it definitely comes at a price. So if you, like me, are struggling to have longer and thicker hair after years of damage, then you have to give Vegamore a try. Vegamore has transformed my hair. Their holistic approach to hair health uses smart botanicals to promote visibly healthier, thicker, fuller, longer looking hair. With the help from Vegamore, get healthy, beautiful looking hair without harmful chemicals. Their products are cruelty free and never contain parabens or hormones. Vegamore has something for everyone looking to improve their hair health. I'm really excited to try their Grow Revitalizing Shampoo and Conditioner Kit because it works together to visibly create healthier hair and improve hair from the roots. Just massage the shampoo into your scalp for 60 seconds and then follow up with the conditioner. It's really that easy to see healthier, fuller hair. There's really no risk to trying it out for the first time because Vegamore has a 90 day money back guarantee, but you're probably not going to need it. 91% of customers say they see visibly thicker hair with Vegamore in just three months and you won't want to run out. Don't let damage of the past hold your hair back. See your hair's full potential with Vegamore. Go to vegamore.com slash ecochic and use code ecochic to save 20% on your first order. That's V-E-G-A-M-O-U-R dot com slash ecochic. Code ecochic to save 20% at vegamore.com slash ecochic. It'll be in the show notes. Now on the topic of utilities, I think when we talk about energy demand, it's really easy to imagine it as this kind of like pie in the sky. We don't know what's going on at the power plant, But actually we do, we're all familiar with power lines, we're all familiar with distribution, whether or not we recognize it, and how power gets from the power plant to your house. There's a lot of physical infrastructure that needs to exist for you to be able to plug your phone into the wall. Infrastructure, similarly, is reflective of culture, it's reflected of climate norms in an area, and the infrastructure in the UK, the power lines, the wiring, the poles, everything that goes along with power is not built to withstand these extreme temperatures. So what does that mean? That increased demand, all of the power that's going through, that's letting off heat as it's being generated, is also pushing its equipment to some extremes. Power companies in the UK are seeing wires getting frayed, they're seeing burnt out lines, and it's getting increasingly difficult To actually get that little power that they are producing to the people that really need it. So it's kind of an interesting double whammy. We are seeing less power being delivered, and the power that is delivered is in the face of this equipment failure. And you have to imagine that we can extend this metaphor to other parts of society. Infrastructure in general is built for a climate, for a particular region's conditions. So we're talking bridges, buildings, streets. Most interestingly this week, there was an airport runway in the UK that was noted to be melting and airplanes could not take off. And my favorite fun fact lately has been that planes cannot take off when it is over 54 degrees Celsius. And while they weren't quite at 54, 40 is pretty dang close. If we really zoom out, I feel like this instance in the UK was a really interesting example of what we anticipate climate change to be in the future. We know that this will not be the last extreme heat wave, we know that this will not be the first time that an area is seeing unprecedented extreme weather events. It's the first of many. And I really do my best not to be a doom and gloom climate scientist on this show because I feel like climate education shouldn't be scary, but something that's really important for me to note and something that I think is helpful for us to put this into more of a perspective. We've got to stop thinking about this as the hottest summer so far, but rather the coolest one for the next foreseeable future. On that note, stay cool. Thanks so much for tuning in to Eco Chic. I hope this helped you make a little sense of the news this week. Thanks so much for hanging out with me. Like I said at the top, all of my social links are down below, and I will talk to you soon. Have a great weekend. Seeking the truth never gets old.